I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Last week we met some of our, uh, the main characters in our Salem witchcraft event. There was the uh, Reverend Samuel Paris, uh, an intensely disliked individual in the community, uh, his nine-year-old daughter Betty, Betty Paris, and his 11-year-old niece, Abigail Williams, who was an orphan. And we also touched briefly on Tichaba, who was most likely an Indian slave from the Barbados. Yes, and... Uh to those of you who are listening to the second one, maybe you tuned in uh, and didn't hear last week's episode, we are doing a special on the Salem Witch Trials, and this is part two of that series. Yes, and uh, last week, uh, don't forget, uh, Gary, we recreated the fortune-telling incident that triggered all of the ensuing mayhem. And I have to admit, I learned a little something by recreating that experiment. Uh, what would that be? Well... I am firmly uh, of the belief now that uh, they did not instantly see something that they suspected uh, to be a coffin, that the egg white uh, evolved over time. And so perhaps this little uh, fortune-telling pastime that they were engaged in took them 30 minutes, an hour, who knows, but it would pass the time of a a frigid winter uh, night there in Salem. And so I think uh, this was a a much longer event than I had uh, in, uh, envisioned before we did the experiment. Yeah, well, I think you were uh, hoping for something instantaneous. Yeah, uh, but everything yeah. that everything that I saw, it takes a couple minutes. So not like a solid hour, but it takes a couple minutes. Now, um, we're recording these back to back, so we still have our glass uh, sitting here with the egg whites in it, and that has changed a little bit more. It's kind of taking on that uh, ship-like look. Now, I know you probably don't want me to mention this, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. I mean, as soon as we were doing this experiment. Uh, and we had just wrapped up the last episode. I was kind of tinkering around with swirling the glass to see what kind of shapes I could make out of the uh, egg white that's floating there. And all of a sudden, uh, the chandelier uh, over our dining room table where we do our recordings began to flicker and one of the bulbs busted. Is it coincidence? Yes. Or did we stir something up more? <laughs> we'll leave that up to you to decide. Uh, I think we've got a little coincidence there. Could be. But anyways, it was fun recreating the experiment uh, with uh, historical accuracy. Now, whatever the girls thought that they saw in their egg white, they and they believed it to be a coffin, mm. that is what triggered their hysterical behavior. And maybe it was uh, they were also feeling a, a little bit guilty at uh, trying to conjure up something that was connected with the devil. Who knows? Yes. But, um, after that, they were involved with throwing fits, babbling, crawling, uh, going into these uh, weird body contortions, and just scaring the tar out of uh, Samuel Paris and the rest of the family, and eventually uh, a good uh, number of people in the village and beyond throughout the entire Massachusetts Bay Colony. So tonight... We're going to meet four of the girls' friends who actually joined them in this mm-hmm. hysterical behavior. So there will be a total of, um, well, six, six people altogether, six children 
that will be doing all of the uh, antics that look like they're possessed by the devil. And uh, we'll finish our podcast this evening by meeting three of those people who are accused of being witches because of these girls' theatrical antics. Right. Now, my question is, how did they get uh, found out? Because I don't feel like they were just messing around and then freaked themselves out and then went home and ratted themselves out. Because, like you said, these kind of things, um, if you were messing around with spirits, you're trying to conjure something up, you were committing uh, the worst of sins in the puritanical days. So I don't think that they ratted themselves out on purpose. I kind of feel like they may have been caught doing something they weren't supposed to. Uh, it's possible, and I think uh, what we can do is we can uh, go a little more into detail into their motivations because this is a highly controversial part of the story, but I think probably it's important that we tell the main part of the story first before we try to All right. analyze their motives. So uh, this was in January that we were talking about for the yes. fortune-telling experiment, and by the end of February, uh, Betty and Abigail were clearly the center of attention at the parsonage. Everybody was coming by to see the, their latest show of odd behavior. They were providing the best diversion in memory in that strict Puritan village. It was, it was a show. It was a sideshow. Mm. The neighbors didn't see all of the uproar as entertainment, however, even though it was definitely thrilling. They began to whisper that the girls were bewitched or behagged. And folks started wondering what part Tichaba and John Indian the Paris slaves played in all this. Right, because you said in the last episode, the Puritans believed that Native Americans were either um, people who were of the devil or actual devils or demons themselves. Yes, yes. So uh, they had that going against them. Uh, so it's not surprising uh, that the uh, girls picked up on all of this excitement that was going on in the community. Mm. And... Um, Shortly after hearing the rumors about Tichaba, isn't it a coincidence that the girls started having hallucinations about Tichaba? Ah. Oh. So the girls hear some of the community rumors, and then, hmm, suddenly their hallucinations focus around Tichaba. Well, Samuel Paris did not do anything to calm the girls. He himself was out of control. Instead, he shouted at them, and he even beat them. Oh, he beat them because they uh, believed that they were um, experiencing... I don't know. I, it was just probably out of total frustration and oh. panic and fear himself. But uh, he'd later try and get a confession from Tichaba also with yelling at her and, and beating her. Mm. And then the affliction spread beyond Samuel Paris' household gear. Three of the newly afflicted neighborhood girls were older. They were teenagers. Now, the fourth one, neighbor Ann Putnam, she was closest to the other girl's age. She was 12. But the three teenagers, Mercy Lewis, she was a 17-year-old orphan living with Ann Putnam's family. Yes. And Elizabeth Hubbard, she was 17. Now, she was the niece of the local doctor who originally diagnosed the, uh, the girls under the spell as being under an evil hand. Mm. So we've got a doctor making a medical um, decision that, ooh, 
maybe this has something to do with the supernatural. Right. And uh, the other uh, person to join the two original girls was Mary Walcott. She was a 17-year-old neighbor, and uh, she lived only a few hundred yards from the Paris house. So we've got some nearby neighbors, three of whom were 17, one of whom was 12, and for whatever reason, they decide to join the sideshow. Attention-seeking. They become afflicted. So by March, we have a full repertory company of some very imaginative teens and preteens. Yes. And somehow, I believe Samuel Parris, 10-year-old son, managed to say, stay um, uh, possession-free. Now, how could that be that only the girls were being afflicted? <laughs> he probably just thought to himself, girls. Uh, yeah, could be. Typical girl. But um, our story opened with three uh, highly impressionable girls, aged 11 and 12, all living in the same house, acting as if possessed by the devil. And soon their neighborhood friends, as old as 17, found themselves possessed as well. And the entire group of girls gave daily matinee performances. Mm. So let's look now in detail at three unfortunate people who became their victims through all of this nonsense that they were stirring up. The first victim I'd like to uh, uh, introduce was named Sarah Good. Sarah Good. She was a middle-aged woman, and as you've uh, mentioned before, that uh, when you're in your 30s back in those days, that's not middle age, that's old age. That's old age. Any th 30s mm -hmm. to 40s, you were, uh, ooh. So she was, by their standards, old-aged. She was very assertive, and she was a village outcast. Ooh, what a perfect victim. Mm. So uh, Sarah Good, she was the wife of a ne'er-do-well and the mother of several young children, and she had been reduced to begging for food. Now here is what really probably tangled her up uh, and uh, gave her, you know, uh, prime standing as a possible suspect. When uh, people refused to give her any food when she was begging, yeah, she would curse them. Well, I could see how that would make people think so you were a witch. She went around in a very angry and ill-mannered spirit. And in fact, uh, I've uh, discovered that one neighbor actually tried to help her by taking her in, and, and that didn't last very long. The Good Samaritan sent her on her way because she was afraid Sarah Good would set fire to the house with the pipe that she constantly smoked. Oh. <laughs> so just picture in your imagination, poor Sarah Good fits the stereotypical image of a witch. Of course. Uh, hexing people and... And in Puritan times... Begging... You know, that was serious business. Yeah. Now, at this point, um, I would like to share with our listeners some of the actual words that were spoken 330 years ago. This is from the recorded court testimony in the Salem witchcraft trials. Okay. That has survived to this day. Oh. The justice, the main justice, there were two of them. The main justice was John Hathorne. And he started off by saying, Sarah Good, what evil spirit have you familiarity with? None. And ye made no contact with the devil? No. Why'd you hurt these children? I do not hurt them. I scorn it. What creature do you employ? No creature. I am falsely accused. Why did you go away muttering from Mr. Parris' house? 
I did not mutter, but I thanked him for what he gave my child. At this point, the girls go into a series of fits. Mm. And Hawthorne shouts above all of the commotion. Sarah Good, do you not see now what you have done? Why do you not tell us the truth? Why do you torment these poor children? I do not torment them. Well, how can they thus be tormented? Well, what do I know? You bring others here, and now you charge me with it. Who was it? I do not know. But it was some you brought into the meeting house with you. We brought you into the meeting house. But you brought in two more. Who was it then that tormented the children? It was Osborne. Bingo. An accused witch is now accusing someone else. So we got a whole chain of events happening here. Oh, now we've got an accused witch accusing someone else. Sarah Good's husband was then brought in, and he was no help at all, Gary. He said that he was afraid that she might be a witch. (laughs) His own wife? Yeah, yeah, her own husband. Well, that says a lot right there. And he said, you know what? If she's not a witch now, she would be one very quickly. He probably was afraid to have her come back home Uh, upset. I think so. In any event, Sarah Good was led away to jail. That's sad. And so now... We have a new character. We have Sarah Osborne. Now, when Sarah Osborne's husband died, she scandalized Salem Village by buying a young Irish immigrant named Alexander. She she paid uh, 15 pounds, and he became her indentured servant. Uh, Mm Ah, the days of the indentured servant. Yes, and actually he became more than that. He ended up her husband. Oh. Now, folks in the village suspected that they'd been living in sin before marrying Scandalous. Uh, and they could have been whipped for such an offense. Sure. And by 1692, when all the commotion and uproar was going on in Samuel Paris' house with all the girls, Sarah Osborne was ill, and she was bedridden. And so during this time, the village was looking at her as an outcast. She hadn't been to Sunday meeting for a long time. And... Perhaps the most important factor in running afoul of the community norms was a dispute she was waging against a very prominent and powerful family over land. So that could have had something to do with her uh, ultimate fate as well. She was the first of many people accused of being witches by that powerful family. Mm. We don't know what was going on with them. She underwent the same line of questioning as Sarah Good, and she also denied everything. In fact, this is what she said. I do not know that the devil goes about in my likeness to do any hurt. And then uh, Justice uh, Hawthorne asks all of the children to stand up and look at the accused, Sarah Osborne. Amazing, Gary. They all immediately went into fits. Hysterical fits. Mm. all of them, at the same time. Sarah Osborne was led away to jail. Wow. Now, the third person we're going to profile tonight before we really get into the uh, nitty-gritty of the story is Tichiba, Tichiba Indian. And when she came in, that courtroom was all abuzz with whispers. There she is. There she is, the Indian. 
the first one the girls accused of bewitching them, Tichaba herself, the Indian. The girls immediately started, guess what? Uh, Let me guess, was it having a fit? Yep. Mm. The moment Tichaba entered, they went into their fits. And Justice Hawthorne was hoping to extract the confession from Tichaba. And here is the court record of that, Gary. Why do you hurt these children? What harm have they done unto you? They do no harm to me. I am not hurt them at all. Why have you done it? I have done nothing. I can tell when the devil works. What doth the devil tell you that he hurts them? No, he tells me nothing. You never see something appear in some shape? No, never see anything. What familiarity have you with the devil? Tell the truth as to whom it is that hurts them. The devil, for all I know. How does he appear when he hurts them? What shape does he take when he hurts them? Now, Gary, Tichaba senses an opening for herself. She's going to use this to her advantage, huh? Yes. She was a very clever person, very imaginative, uh, and she'd been around long enough to know what the Puritans believed and what they didn't believe. and so She was going to give them what they wanted to hear. Yes, indeed, exactly. So she thought she saw a way out. She was going to tell a tale of what they wanted to hear while protesting her innocence. Oh. So here's how the story unfolds next. Tichaba testified that she saw a man all dressed in black in the Paris family lean-to the day before her appearance in court. A day before. Only a day. Oh, the crowd went deathly silent in that courtroom, Gary. Oh, I bet they did. This was a first-hand description of the devil himself. Even the afflicted children went quiet. Oh, my oh now they're freaked out because this now went from them pretending to, oh, my gosh, now was he really out. there? The man in black at our house? And we're not talking Johnny Cash either. No. Tichaba then used all of her <laughs> storytelling skills, and she wove her own incredible story. The man who told her to serve, and she said she told him she would do no such thing. She dreamed up an imaginary cast of five people along with the mysterious man in black. Then she electrified the court with the creature she saw, a great big black dog, a tiny yellow bird, two very large cats. Everyone in the court, including the girls, were absolutely spellbound. Oh my gosh, boy, she was a storyteller that day. Yet Tichaba was just warming up. Mm. She was just warming up. She claimed the cats wanted her to hurt the children, but she refused. They then scratched her. Now, at this point, Tichaba sensed that she needed to add a touch of reality to her big lie. (laughs) She was really getting wound up. So mentally, she focused on a twofold strategy. First, she would accuse someone known to everyone in the courtroom, and then she herself would become possessed and thereby actually be the devil's latest victim. Oh, this was her way out. Mm -hmm. So before she lost control to Satan, she managed to identify two people who appeared to her and ordered her to cut off Ann Putnam's head with a knife. Oh, my gosh. One of the recently added girls to the uh, ones that were all uh, hysterical. Cut off Ann Putnam's head with a knife. And she identified... Was it one of the girls? Sarah Good... Our pipe-smoking elderly oh. person. And Sarah 
Osborne. The two that had been accused. Yep. Pandemonium in the courtroom. Then Tichabu was convincingly, convincingly struck dumb. <laughs> ah, Justice Hawthorne ruled that Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tichabu must all be examined further and sent them to jail. Next week, Gary, we will explore some of the enhanced interrogation techniques that followed some of the courts of inquiry. Oh, all right. Now, before we completely wrap this up, I, I have to think that this whole situation really uh, is balanced on the idea that, number one, you had girls that were suppressed. You know, the children that were told you had to think a certain way, you had to do this a certain way, and then they dabble around with something that they find to be taboo and scare themselves. Um, that's one part of this whole thing. But also, too, you have this... Um, attention-seeking behavior, okay? Now think about this. These children are meant to be silent, not say anything. They're pushed to the back. They're expected to be quiet and obey at all times. And now all of a sudden, the devil has entered Salem. And now these girls are victims. They're at the center of the attention of all of these adults. Before, they weren't allowed to say anything. And now all they're asked to do is talk. Think about how Number one, powerful it is for them to be allowed to speak and have a voice, but now they have a whole audience of people who feel bad for them. They're not being punished. People are actually uh, feeling sympathetic or empathetic to them because they're being afflicted by evil spirits and entities. Yes, and they didn't use words so much as actions with all of their contortions right. and fits and this and that and the other. So I, I would say that uh, they started off innocent enough but uh, before very long, this took on a very sinister look. And I, I, I kind of feel, too, uh, again, wrapping this up, that maybe some of these other girls seeing this happen with uh, the first two thought, I, I can get the same kind of attention as well. And that becomes exactly. more of a cathartic type yeah. uh, event. Group experience. All right. Well, this wraps it up for now. Once again, I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And this is an incredible story.